Well, actually, let me. Maybe I'll go ahead and introduce. <laughs> I'll go ahead and <laughs> and introduce us, and then we'll just okay. keep talking. So, welcome to the Accidental Muralist Podcast. Today, Thank you for I'm, me. yeah. Today, I'm excited to speak with Constance Moore for a variety of reasons. But we met, I think, about five years ago in in Oakland. And she has some exciting projects going on that we will talk about later. But first, well, very first, I want to do the land acknowledgement because I'm trying to get in the practice of acknowledging the land that we are on. So I am coming to you from the Chinook-speaking land of the Cowlitz and Clackamas tribes um, who have stewarded this land, otherwise known today as Portland, Oregon, um, for generations and generations in the past and currently and into the future and want to acknowledge their stewardship and, and try to honor their land. And you? I am in um, Oakland, which is the uh, Chicheno-speaking area of the Ohlone tribe, which is very much part of our current community and you know past present and definitely future they have a very strong presence in our in oakland yeah i've been trying to practice land acknowledgement i first heard about my daughter one of my daughters went to school at university of british columbia and Mm -hmm. in canada by now for years they've been in the practice of opening any official event or even some schools, I think Toronto public schools start each day with land acknowledgement. So it's kind of one of those startling things when you realize like, why don't we, it should be very basic and ingrained in in what everything we do, but then that would be acknowledging. (laughs) That would be acknowledging. The more I've been learning, I was thinking last night about how less than a year ago, I still considered white supremacy like those people who march and and carry torches and, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's only been this year at some point that it's entered my consciousness as like, no, we're all steeped in it. It's just completely what we do and how we've been taught as a society and and I was listening to an interview with Ibram X. Kendi the other day, and he was he said denial is the foundation of white supremacy. So, of course, we're going to deny that this land ever belonged to anybody but right. the United States. I mean, I grew up in Berkeley, California, so we had Indigenous Peoples Day when I was in elementary school, and I'm 50 years old, 54 years old. So, you know, uh, you kind of have this sense that well we do this thing but we really learned about native american history history like it was people from the past and you know there was acknowledgement of injustice but not any sense of current day um practices or actions or or the fact of this like systems how there were there are systems in place that oppress everyone we just learned about these people did some oppression and and they were bad and those people were oppressed and poor them. Yes. Kumbaya, move on. You yes. know, <laughs> it's kind of right. like. 
Yeah. But, you know, but I mean, it was Berkeley in the 70s, so they were advanced, but also not right. that really that advanced. So. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it was well into adulthood before I realized like everywhere is native land, you know, because I, I grew up, I grew up here in the Northwest and there's reservations. It's more prominent uh -huh. here. Like a lot of the place names are native in Oregon and Washington and the totem poles and, you know, it's more yeah. present visually and in names uh -huh. up here. So it was in the air, but more like they live here and this area, you know, so it took a long time to realize, no, they were everywhere. And then, you know, we pushed them here and we pushed them there. And, but this, all of this land is, and it's- It's a great practice, the land acknowledgement. And I hope that in general and specifically on my part, that it, it isn't just a kind of a practice to say that I did it. Do you know that it causes each time that I, I you know, investigate a little bit more. I go to the Ohlone people themselves and get information from them and recognize where where I am in the land. So it's a big new practice for me, but I, I hope it to deepen, I guess, and lead to more action or activity. I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, it's we were talking before I started recording about just the year it's been, and we're recording this on what is it? I, um, the nineteenth of September. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed last night. Just to add to twenty twenty, and it's a lot to handle. It, every you know, every day or every week brings a whole new set of things, and I, the wildfires are happening. The air has cleared here in Portland now after a week or 10 days of just being choked with smoke, um, just to place us in time. And in California, it's been that way for months. And your air is clear right now, right? Constance, mm -hmm. you've had a couple clear yeah. days. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And my, my brother lives in Fresno, or actually he lives in Clovis, which is close to the Creek Fire. But the air there has been terrible. But I just check, you know, I check, I have this sort of obsessive routine where I check <laughs> cow fires, then I check the air quality, and I check the air quality for the cities that I, you know, where people I know live and I, lo I love, you know, so then I'm like, you know, I'm joking with my brother's girlfriend that um, I've placed all my anxiety about everything else into tracking <laughs> the fires because it's very satisfying because you watch the barn, it's like 6% contained. You're like, oh no. And in the next day, it's like 10%. You're like, yes. <laughs> you know, and it just, it's a, a place where I can track my, place my anxieties. And I, I, I know all the different fires and I, you know, I'm, I'm very obsessive about it's ridiculous i know but it really has helped me feel satisfied no it kind of makes me feel better because i've been doing the exact same thing i have about eight tabs open on my computer one is like air quality from one source and there's like three or four that i have that are different ways of showing air quality uh -huh. and and we've been celebrating in the last few days moving out of hazardous yes which is like don't even open the door to go outside to 
just very unhealthy and that was like yes we're out of <laughs> we're out of the dark purple into the light purple and then right. now today wow. it's, today it's good to moderate which is amazing you know because you get in this yeah. mindset where you're like it's never going to happen again you're never going to be able to breathe the air again but yeah. and then i have tabs open that show the fire perimeters and then I have another tab open that shows the evacuation zones because where my sister lived like south of Portland they were in the evacuation zone for like get ready my brother was in the clear but just on the border of the yellows and so I was just constantly tracking I I really like Cal Fire because they give such a detailed description of how they're fighting the fire you really feel like you're on the team with them, you know? <laughs> We're cutting the barrier at so-and-so creek and it's da -da 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 -da. And now the holding the line here. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, just well, like, okay. Right, and another new tab that I found recently, similar to that, is a narrative of like, here's how the air quality is gonna be this weekend, here's what we're expecting tomorrow, here's how kind of in general the fires are going, you know, because of the, we had a bunch of rain, so not only is it, cleaner air but it's like helping the fire efforts right right so i'm always you know i'm going through and refreshing all these pages and there is something comforting and when you put it that way like storing your anxiety there that might be because i feel a little bit relieved after i've gone through all the seven or eight tabs and then checked on my phone what does my phone weather app say how's the air quality and then i and then i swipe over to oakland how are they doing in oakland and seattle because one of my daughters is in seattle then vancouver bc because one of my daughters is there so i just have all these things <laughs> yeah it's kind of manic but it, it's it's something that you can do i think that's the key it's like yeah. an action yeah. you can take to, yeah. and that's what i was doing last week uh, even though portland i don't know we didn't know like the fires yeah. started raging very quickly and they were moving very quickly and it's one county over so right right portland was on edge and i thought and my partner was in the wilderness of alaska so he didn't even know this was happening until like two days ago when he got back and um so I just, I, I needed to do something. So the thing that I could do was like gather up my documents and a few changes of clothes and put them in the car and yeah. just be ready. Yeah. And then maybe I could sleep that night. <laughs> but I'm also trying, yeah. I'm also trying to use these experiences to, to build empathy. Cause I think that's what we need more of in this country because I was realizing how as a privileged white woman with a home, I have a refrigerator full of food and right. I'm this anxious. So mm -hmm. imagine if I'm, my sister works with a lot of immigrants and their anxiety was a whole other level because they don't drive, you know, where are they gonna go <laughs> if they where have to evacuate? And you know, it was just an entirely different level of stress and so i try to when i'm anxious just put it in perspective of like let's imagine how this works for a lot of people in the country who have the stress of being black in america every day yeah added or, on to that or i mean imagine being i mean my parents are in their 80s you know and they can't move fast right if you have a disability you're in a wheelchair or they 
you know, the power shuts off. I have a, you know, friend who have kids who are on machines that they yeah. need. Can you afford a generator? You know, it's just like, there's so many uh, scenarios that can compound the fears of what the fires and then, you know, the people who live in the uh, Southeast and the uh, hurricanes and right. all the extreme weather is very challenging for everyone, but you know, it can be challenging for other people for more, more reasons, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. And you want it to bring people together, which in many ways it does. The sad thing that made it even worse here is there was, I, you probably heard about the rumors that the fires were started by Antifa yeah. and that Antifa had these gangs that were going to be going through and, you know, and you're just like, really people like in a catastrophe, we have to divert energy to quelling rumors so that people will actually leave there. You know, it's just like, what right, happened, right. What the happened to this country? The, yeah, unity and like helping each other. I think mostly it's still there. I mean, I you, we have to believe that. Otherwise, what's the point? But, yeah. you know, and then the other thing is that COVID it does make it difficult. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, that's right. There's a pandemic. Oh yeah, too. <laughs> that pandemic. Now we're in we're in the eye of the storm of this oh, pandemic, and yeah. it, you know because of our own doing, and so that makes it hard when bad news happens or catastrophe happens. You want to gather with people, and you can't. Right. Yeah, and you are right that mostly people have been reaching out. In fact, I was seeing stories that services like the Red Cross were actually turning people away. Like, we have enough volunteers, we can't take any more volunteers. And they were overwhelmed with donations of food and clothing and all that. So that is happening, and it's good to remember that. Because the media does, you know, I, I am very much in support of journalism, but it is true that the meat, you know, it makes a better picture and a better headline right. if you can show some outlier crazy thing happening. So, yeah, someone to... said to me, like, this was a good reminder that if it's in the news, it mostly means it doesn't happen all the time because that's what makes it news. Yeah. If it's just regular everyday occurrence, it's not really news. Like, so people helping each other is not in the news because it's a regular everyday occurrence. People help each other all the time, you know, and then there'll be like the good new film, good story that they'll bring in that makes you feel like it's a one-off, but it's not a one-off. It's kind of just the baseline and all these other crazy things. That's why it's news and that's why it's sensational. But if we take in too much of that, it feels like that's what's happening the most right yeah no that's a good um reminder that yeah there's a reason why it's news it's not representative of just the normal life that people yeah <laughs> were, are trying to leave yeah <laughs> yeah so i do want to get to your book but on the way there Besides putting your anxiety into refreshing the pages and looking at the data, which I totally am with you on that, <laughs> what else are you doing these days to keep yourself healthy and sane? Um, you know, school started, so being back at work is really, really helpful. Connecting is kind of maybe not, I'm not really connecting with my students yet, 
but that potential for that is really helpful to me. I just miss being in a classroom. So, you know, I miss the kids really more than the class itself, but, and also having that routine, I made a little schedule for myself. And so that, that's been helpful. And then I obviously have been doing my voting thing, which is sometimes it's alleviating stress, but sometimes it's, it's very stressful. Like not stress, stressful is not the right word. It's, I don't know. I thought it was going to be not easy breezy, but I thought it was going to be this meditative practice that would help me make something every day and feel good or something like that. (laughs) But that's not at all what's happening. (laughs) It is a grind. And, uh, but it does, you know, when I'm doing it, you know, actually making something every day, it does calm me down and sit down and paint, you know, Yeah, so what you're talking about, what I know about, but for our listeners, one of the reasons I wanted Constance to be on is, well, two reasons. One is that she just has a new book out that she illustrated, a children's book, which is beautiful. I have... I have mine right here. Oh, you got it. Yeah. Here, you hold it up. I'm going to take a picture of you. Yeah. (laughs) And there's me taking a picture of you. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) It's at my cute little neighborhood bookstore. So Uh plug for them. What's the name of your bookstore? Green Bean Books. Green Bean Books. It's a tiny little children's bookstore in the Alberta Arts District where I live in Northeast Portland. It's available at a store near you, listeners. Uh, anywhere you buy books. But... It's available at, at Target. Oh, wow. Well, that is That's kind crazy of a big deal. Exciting. Yeah. I mean, but go, to, go to your indie bookstore. Yeah, but if go you to... can't make it there, go to Target. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But cool that it's at Target. It'll reach more people. And I didn't say exactly. the name of the book because this is audio. We're looking at each oh. other and looking at taking pictures of things across our Zoom screen. But it's called Brown. <laughs> The Many Shades of Love, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. And the other thing that I wanted Constance on for is that she's been doing this amazing series on Instagram of little paintings about voting. So since you went there, let's talk about that first. And was the stress or you said stress, but not stress. Is it a creative struggle? Is that what you're talking about? Like to come up with new material? Is that what's been hard about it? Um. Yes. And also like just researching about voting and the history of voting, the voter suppression. It's kind of something I've known about in this sort of far back region of my head and, you know, but just diving into it more um, in more detail has been, it's a lot, man. It's really to think of what to do every time. And, you know, so it's part of that hundred day project. And I start in the beginning just kind of really thinking about like, why do we vote? What is, what is voting and where does voting matter? You know, like what do we actually vote for and why are those things important? And then I had imagined that I would go into kind of the history of voting from different perspectives. And I did dip into that, you know, it's really just, kind of where my mind takes me. It's, it's not following organized pattern because my mind is not working a very organized pattern right now. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm some days it's just like, vote, yay, you know, and, and some days it's really from the news or or something that I've researched 
And yeah, just trying to kind of figure out what can be said with words and what can be said with pictures and yeah. I think projects like that are so useful and I, I'm speaking now to the maybe people listening who don't consider themselves as artists. I think this is something that artists do a little bit more readily because this podcast is my example of that recently. Like, you know, I chose to blog three times a month this year, one post with words that I send out on the third, one of pictures that I send out on the 13th, and then one was going to be sound on the 23rd. And then I thought, well, my my website has the capacity to do a podcast, so why don't I just make it a podcast? Because I kind of thought about doing one, and I have things to say, and I like talking to people. And then pretty soon you're like, oh, so now I'm doing this monthly thing. Like, now I've I've given myself this assignment, and now I have to keep up with it. <laughs> And it's, exactly. both, it's both a joy, but like you have to do stuff. But the beauty of it is that it takes you all these places that you wouldn't have gone. And Absolutely. Yeah. And there's so much learning in the practice. I'm on my end, I'm learning how to edit audio. I, you know, never really mm-hmm. paid any attention to that. I'm, I'm being a kind of an interviewer, which is something I've never done before, but it's like, why not? You know, I know how to have a conversation. Right. <laughs> I'm always, I feel like if I could sum up my business or my, you know, life purpose in one sentence, it's to encourage other people to up their creative game, like to see themselves mm-hmm. as creative and just put yourself yeah. out there a little bit more. And absolutely. And so taking on a challenge like what you set for yourself and what I set for myself everybody can do that hey listeners you know what's just just do it like commit to it and then figure out how you're going to get it done yeah you know I my my cousin um is a um she's an artist she 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 makes book forms and she does uh printmaking and she's amazing her name is E Bond just like a small E uh-huh. last name Bond. She she does the 100-day project. And we were talking, and I think it was the map-making one that she said, well, I never finished the 100 days. And I was like, wait, what? She's like, yeah, I just kind of like petered out, you know, but I still had those 58 days or whatever, however many she did, and used those, that material has generated so much for me. And that was such a relief for me. I thought, well, I can start this 100 days, and if I don't finish, it's okay. But I'm actually not the kind of person who can't. I have to get to the 100 one, even if I'm, like, rolling across the finish line. (laughs) But knowing that I don't have to, it gave me, like, permission to feel, to start. Gave me permission to start. So, So you... You know, just starting is really all that matters, I feel like. And then see what happens because it's the starting that's so hard. Yeah, and the see, yeah. what, the see what happens is key too. I like to tell people, like if I'm doing a painting workshop, replace all the judgment, like get rid of all the judgment of what if I'm not going to like it. I've had painting students who go right to, 
what if I hate what I did? And I'm, you know, she's looking at a blank canvas, like, wow, <laughs> let's try to, you know, work backwards, you know, be a little bit in the present. And I, I try to implant the phrase, what would happen if, like, it's just a big experiment. Mm -hmm. What would happen if, you know, you use this right. color next to this color and, you know, it's just a big experiment. And I think if you approach it that way, you know, what would happen? I'm doing that. I started, I haven't really talked publicly about this, but this summer I was feeling as many people are or were very squishy. And, you know, after about two or three months of shelter in place, I, even though I was still kind of exercising, but I felt like I was being more sedentary. And, and anyway, I started reading more about Ayurveda. And one of the things is getting up early, like before the sun, which is very mm -hmm. contrary to when I stopped teaching, I was like, okay, no more getting up early. I'm so done with that. <laughs> so I'm reading this like, and I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll try some of these other things and maybe someday in the future, I'll do the getting up early. But then lo and behold, I wake up at, you know, 4.30 the next morning and I'm laying awake. It's like, well, I could just get up. And I thought, well, let me just try it. You know, I'm just going to try it. Right. I'll just see what happens. And I don't have to commit to doing it forever. But then I just kept doing it every day. But it, it yeah. totally started yeah. as like, why not? I'm, you know, I'm not locked in. I don't need to commit to a lifetime of this. I could right. just try it for a couple of days. And then, you know, it's really yeah. changed a lot for me. But it started, yeah. Yeah. The freedom of yeah, not being bound. Yeah, like it has to be this or it has to be that. I mean... Kind of when I started the hundred day boating thing, I just sort of I, so I posted to Instagram really to keep myself like if I yeah. said I was going to do it and I didn't feel like anyone was looking, then I probably wouldn't do it. So um, when I started that, I you know wrote like a long post. Was really to myself saying, "This is just for me," and mm -hmm. I, you know, kind of like already defending myself, you know, like <laughs> it's gonna suck already, kind of thing. But I'm doing it anyway. I don't know, you know, you, you get so nervous about like the judgment, but I just—it's also empowering, like the feeling of doing it anyway, even though you're nervous or scared, or I feel like you're gonna judge me, or you know. And I, there are some of the bony ones that. I go back and, I mean, there's one in particular that I just, every time I see it, I, I just cringe because I feel like I didn't do a good job. I mean, there's some that I know I didn't do a good job and I don't care, but there's one that I feel like, ah, oh, but, oh, well, you know, like I'm still standing. No one is like, no one criticized me. No one like said anything like. I can't believe you posted. I know. That, you know? We're so no, hard that, on ourselves. <laughs> We're so hard on ourselves. I started dancing flamenco about two years ago after moving to, to Portland. It's so fun. Yeah, it's awesome. And it's this really great community. That's one of my goals. Huh. Really? In North Oakland, there's some flamenco. I, I was not involved when I lived in Oakland, but since being here, I'm now aware that there is a flamenco community in Oakland. So, and we're working right now on this style that is improvisation. So we're all in a big socially distant circle because now we're meeting in a park 
and people get so anxious because it's you take turns going in the middle and doing your thing and it's very it has a structure to it but a lot of freedom within the structure there's a lot of anxiety and so but it's the mantra that we kind of keep telling each other like what's the worst that's going to happen you know these are the nicest people everybody's clapping and cheering you on literally yeah you know what's the worst that could happen you'll freeze you'll forget you'll back out of the circle and nobody cares it really doesn't matter and the instructor is really good at lowering the anxiety and making it just a place to make mistakes and practice and Right. It is so hard to step out into that publicly. In in my um, book club, we were just reading this. We actually read a YA book, but um, Cinderella is dead. And one of the book club questions was, what's your hero journey? You know, and they're kind of geared towards preteens. But (laughs) when we were all, all the women were like, dang, these are hard questions. (laughs) And that's what it reminded me of. Just this whole po- process of creativity is very much a hero's journey in this way where, you know, I'll use myself, for example, you know, when I decided to go back to um, art school or to go to art school, I was in my late 40s, I guess. For 20 something years, I thought I should go to art school, but that's so impractical and this and that. And I'm not going to be good enough. and. You know, all I had a hundred million, I had two decades worth of reasons not to go to art school. But I finally went to art school, and when it, you know, it's all said and done, and here I am. Everything that I needed, I already had in me. You know, I, but I had to go on this journey. I had to go to Goddard and go through the experience and push myself out there. One of the things that I did at Goddard, which was a very small thing, it had nothing to do with what my main practice of, you know, being a visual artist is I did a poetry reading Hmm. in a group of 30 people, all very friendly, wonderful people. And the thrill of that, I, I was so scared. I mean, I could just think about it now. I could think about how I just wanted to shrink up. I wanted to cry, to just stand up and say these words in front of people. It's probably one of the bravest things I've ever done. And when it was over, I felt so good. I can still tap into that. You know, now five, however many years later, it feels incredible. But I already had all that in me. I just didn't know it, you know, and so that's like to, to do something creative, you have to take that one step, you know, and then you just one, you know, one foot in front of the other. And in the end, you'll find that it's all there inside of you. You have everything you need, but you, you know, you have to ask for support and you have to push yourself and you have to do things, but it's in, it's inside, but it, it can be such a journey, even if it's a small thing can be the biggest thing to dance in front of your flamenco group in the circle can just be enormous yeah but the reward the reward is so good yeah and the thing the thing that is amazing is it doesn't need to be like a giant performance in front of thousands of people my equivalent of what you're describing i wrote about this in a blog post last fall i think was about singing 
So I've been sort of a dancer type gymnast most of my life. So for me to dance in front of people is a few layers less scary than I used to be mortified at public speaking. And then I kind of got over that through teaching and then, but singing was like a whole other thing. So I was doing this, this singing class as part of the flamenco with the flamenco community and literally in a room of 10 people in this class, the first time that I sang by myself was just what you're describing about the poetry thing. There were 10 very, very kind people. And, you know, you would have thought I just gave a TED talk in front of a million viewers or something. It was such a big deal. It was when I, I came home that night, I was flying high. I, I decompressed for like 45 minutes t explaining to Mark what I had just done. And, you know, it felt like this major... <laughs> major life accomplishment and all it was was right. singing by myself for probably less than one minute in front of mm -hmm. 10 very nice people <laughs> in a small room but i think uh, you know one thing when i'm teaching you know because i teach elementary so kindergarten through fifth graders but you know, when little kids, they don't care. They just make stuff. They do it. They they're just they're just right into it. They're just going. I love it. When you get into like fourth grade, they start judging themselves and just having that fear and that anxiety. And what I like to talk with my kids about, you know, or just kind of we talk about a lot is how it's okay to be and not to be like don't be afraid everyone's afraid i get i get nervous first day of school talking in front of my handshake and i've been teaching for over 20 years you know i just some things make scared you know to put yourself out there makes you can't can make you scared doesn't have to but and and it's so sometimes not to be so scared that you don't do it but you just go back and, and try again the next time and, and, and eventually it took me 20 years to actually get myself to art school but now it doesn't matter no one says to me like oh well you did you waited too long <laughs> no one cares <laughs> you know, it doesn't, I know. doesn't matter at all well i like that you brought up the hero's journey because i i'm working on this book that's all doodling like i'm hand writing it and the working title right now is doodle your way out of stuckness I took up doodling about five or six years ago, and I just find that like writing, like journaling, plus adding little embellishments kind of engages both sides of your brain. So for me, it's been a real through way to like problem solving and kind of, yeah. Anyway, but in one page of this book, I wrote about the integrity which is a word I like, and how we're all born with integrity, like little kids, like you described the, the kindergartners, and I used to teach kindergarten, so this is what I love about them, no filter, you know, they're just saying, it's so pure, whatever's on the inside is also on the outside. And then, as you described, we learn from the, from what Clarissa Pinkola Estes calls the overculture, you know, the, the world around oh, yeah. us, all the messages that, there's things wrong with us and that was stupid or we've been laughed at or, you know, we, we learn to be so self-conscious. And then as adults, we have to go on that hero's journey again that you described to sort of find 
to learn that we already had it inside. We knew that when we were kids, we unlearned it and now we have to relearn it. And my, my older daughter, who's 27, was reading the book because I had sent it out to some people to read. And, and that part kind of bummed her out because she's young compared to us. And, and she was like, man, that's so much wasted energy. And it is. But then I think in another sense, and I've been listening and reading a lot of mythology recently, it's just part of the human journey. You know, you have to sort of fall off the rails at some point to get back on and find your purpose. And, you know, now I see it in sort of a broader context of, you know, that's just what being a human is like. But when you're right. young, it is frustrating. <laughs> I was in a, yeah, it, maybe that's too long of a story, but in a group of people that, that we assembled a couple years ago, we had met with a group of women, all different ages from 14 to about 67, I think, just in a friend's backyard. And, and the 14 year old who was a go-getter at Oakland Tech, she was like, I think a freshman and had been voted freshman, president of the freshman class. So like she was on fire. She said to this group of, you know, middle-aged and older people and some younger people, as we're talking about misogyny and all these problems of the world, she's like, why hasn't anyone done anything? <laughs> that's so beautiful like that's such a such a beautiful distillation of like that moment that you you sort of wake up to the evils of the world and you're like what the hell people like why right and then yeah then you start your life's work of trying to <laughs> trying to right the, right right the wrongs but it it is just it's all part of the journey it is all part of the journey you know, I actually was talking to a friend of mine last night about how when we were young girls, like high school or college age or whatever, to speak up or speak out for yourself was considered, you know, you were kind of this sassy girl or this spunky girl or, you know, you were kind of this outlier. And it was, it was praised, you know, that was kind of the overculture, you know, for us. And we were just realizing, like, what bullshit that is. We're just being humans, human people saying our needs and wants. It's not a courageous act. It's not like we're some exceptional girls because we, you know, had the nerve to say these are the things I like and don't like or want or don't want. So I'm just still learning. Like, this, that 14-year-old girl, she's starting from a different place or the world is a different place, but there's so much work to be done. And, you know, we, we thought we had done so much work. We had done so much work, but there's so much more to do. You know, we, for us, it was being that spunky girl or speaking up. But now that I'm in my fifties, I realize we're ridiculous. I mean, it's not ridiculous because one thing about what my mother had to go through or how, how much every aspect of her life was co completely silenced. So it was a big deal for me. But for girls now, that's just normal, you know? So it's just, it's all kind of relative with as time is passing by. But yeah, anyway, just for, for you know, a woman my age, I felt like I had had a grip on this feminist identity 
or a womanist identity, even as a, as a uh, black woman, you know, I felt like I had a sense of it. But I realized like, nope, I'm caught in that system and you have to just, it's like a continuous prying yourself out of that system and to enough so that you can look at it and see it, totally. you know, and sometimes yeah. you're looking at it, but you're only seeing that small part of it. And you're like, wow, I really made a big thing. And you pull yourself more. You're like, oh, God, this system's big. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not impossible. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Anyway, that was a long, you might have to cut that whole thing out. (laughs) No, I'm right right there with you because I also felt, I grew up in a family, there were I'm the youngest of three sisters. I did grow up with a sense of like, I'm a girl, I could do anything. But then looking back, it's like, wow, it was so misogynistic in the 80s. You know, you look at the movies and the TV shows and... So misogynistic in yeah, the 80s. Oh it my was. God. It was. And now I look at it because I'm the exact same age as you. At the time, you know, I feel like there was this, this feeling of like, yeah, girl power, we can do anything. But I think we were also living in the backlash of the feminist, you know, the women's movement where the the overculture had decided to sort of marginalize and make fun of it. And so it was it was there. There were programs in universities, but it was still fringy to take women's studies or, you know, like I didn't take it. But yeah, in the big scheme of things, I think we have moved a long way. When I feel despair about the state of the world, I've been turning to mythology, which is sort of new for me in the last couple of years because I never studied mythology. But I love hearing, so Clarissa Pinkola Estes is one person I listen to. Um, Michael Mead does a podcast about mythology that's also really good. And, and so they're telling these ancient stories from you know thousands of years ago from all parts of the world and you recognize yourself in it, or you recognize your boss or your ex or, you know, or your own journey is like, wow, humans have been doing, you know, we've been in this spot before, or there'll be stories about this, the foolish king who is so, you know, like narcissistic and you're like, wow, we've had those before, (laughs) Um, (laughs) which is comforting. And then at at the same time, it's like, wow, Humanity, have we really not? Why hasn't anyone progressed? done anything? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's it's the human struggle, but it's yeah, just yeah. keep keep being brave. That's what I love. I love being brave, and I love hanging out with people who are brave because that's how I describe what you described as when you were reading your poetry, when I sang in front of people, or you know when I'm dancing in front of people and. It's just being brave and it's so thrilling and it doesn't have to be a big, you don't have to be famous or, you know, have a bunch of Instagram followers. You just have to do little things that make you, give you that feeling of like, wow, I did something brave. That's what I love. Right. Absolutely. Oh, and that thing I was just going to say about like growing up in the eighties, I think, or seventies, eighties, they kind of, I think, I don't know if this is true for you, but I have always had this sense of like, justice and equality as we were always moving towards that with small blips backwards but the general movement was forward and that eventually we would arrive at a place where everything was equal and fair 
now I see that the struggle is forever. You know, when you think about mythology you, and you think like the foolish king or whatever, and the humans have been repeating these cycles, we're in a constant battle with ourselves. If you look at your own life, like, I'm going to do this exercise routine, or I'm going to be better in this way, or not treat people this way, or be more courageous in my relationships, and you, and you do it, and then you backslide, and you find yourself like, your cheat day turns into a cheat week to a cheat month. <laughs> and you're like, oh shit, you know, <laughs> and then you gotta, you know, but that's true in, in the general thing. And, and just kind of looking at it like that, realizing that like, we're not working just to make a better world for our children, but we're working to make our children strong enough to make a better world for their children because we're going to keep facing challenges. The only one that's an exception is the environment, because if we don't deal with that, there is no future. So the time is past. We we're past due on getting our shit together on that. But, but it is the cycle of uh, the moral arc of justice is long, but it bends towards justice or something like that. It is long and it takes, and then it, and then you have to re up again. And I you know, don't, things crumble, they fall apart. Yeah. And I don't know that we ever arrive. And I think that no, that's exactly that's, that's the mentality point. shift that that has to change. But let's <laughs> let's not close before we talk about this beautiful book. Yes. Um, and about the book. I want to know because I've had it's very much on the back, back, back burner now. But for a couple of decades, I had writing and illustrating children's books as like what I wanted to do when I grew up, mm -hmm. like in my 30s and 40s. <laughs> um, then I accidentally became a muralist and kind of scratched that itch in a different way. So, and because I was a kindergarten teacher for so long and just immersed in children's books, um, okay. I, I would like to hear about how this project started, how you got involved, what was it like? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about I, okay. it. Um, so it got started. Nancy and I, Nancy is a um, special ed teacher, amazing special ed teacher in um, San Leandro, California. And we know each other through teaching. And actually, Nancy is a published poet, but it's kind of this secret identity of hers. Every teacher I've has heard it. Her, every teacher has it, right? So I've yeah. heard her. I heard her read a poem at a teacher conference and it was kind of her, you know, for her, this stepping out, you know, this brave moment. I didn't know her. I just, this is how I met her. I heard her read the poem and I was, I loved it so much. I was so moved by it. I went up to her and just told her, you know, I kind of fangirled her and she was kind of like, oh, you know, and I think either in that moment or very shortly after I contacted her and said that I had made these puppets such a, this is show you like, I was definitely in art school at this time because I, I thought this was a normal thing to do. I was like, so I've made these puppets and I'd like to write a poem for each puppet to kind of like tell the story of the puppet. And she said, yes. So we did this project, this poet, puppets and poetry project, and we presented it. We had like a little performance. Um, and, and that's basically how we started being collaborators. 
So oh, okay. one day she said, oh, would you want to illustrate this story? Sure. Oh, yeah, sure. I sat down at my kitchen table right here. I had literally scraps of paper on my t table, and I just started doodling, and I came up with the initial, you know, characters. I sent, I took photos of them and I, on my camera, nothing fancy, and I sent them to her. And she never said anything. She never responded or anything, and I was like, I guess she didn't really like those drawings, you know, but I wasn't that attached to them. So I just was like, whatever. Two years later, <laughs> we were like leaving someone else's house and we were getting into our cars and she goes, oh, did you ever illustrate that story I gave you? Oh. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I sent them to you. She's like, oh, resend it to me. So I sent them again. And she was like, I think we should make a book. And I'm like, all right. So we... You know, being elementary school teacher, we had stacks of favorite children's books. We went through them and picked the publishers loved that did work that we thought was similar or whatever. And we made a list. We wrote a letter and we went on our separate ways. And while Nancy was pressing send, 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 I was going, sincerely, no, best. No. yours truly no sincerely I mean honestly like days and days of just being like sincere just and while I was doing that Nancy texted me we got an offer wow that's what happened uh, so we got the offer from Cameron mm. books and they're in Petaluma okay cool Cameron kids I don't know my glasses and they were recently they, they're on your head thank you <laughs> <laughs> so classic it's so classic mid-50s. <laughs> I do it all the time. In fact, I kept, I'm thinking right now, where are, why aren't mine on my head? There's a hiding over here. Um, Cameron so books, they're wonderful. And the Cameron Kids is the kids' mm -hmm. division. And the whole of Cameron was just purchased by Abrams. So that's how the book came up around. Wow, and the whole process, it's a long process. And even though they kept telling us, this is fast track, but it took, it felt like it took forever. But now it's here. So it's here. It's awesome. So do you have any follow, do, like, do you have any plans to do another book or? Yeah, we have some ideas in, in the working, you know, and Cameron has some. That's yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I like that Nancy and I are kind of this team, so. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. congratulations on that. And as we kind of wrap things up, tell people where they can find your work. I love your Instagram okay. handle is Seymour Art, which is your first initial, your last name, and art. But I like how it sounds like you should go see more art. I always think of that when yes. I see it. So it's Seymour, two O's, R-E, art. A-R-T-E. Good. And I will, uh, I'll link it below this. And so you have a website. Yes, it's constantmore.com. Okay. I'll link that as well. Constantmore.com. And also Nancy and I have an Instagram that is more jam stories because she's James. And so it's, but it's M-O-R-E-J-A-M stories, more jam stories. People can get the book at your local indie bookstore it's at bookshop.org is another great online place that will support indie bookstores. Obviously there's Amazon. And if you do get it on Amazon and you like it, a verified review from, from Amazon is really important for like 
future sales and just everything. So unfortunately, we're kind of trapped in that Amazon world. And then online at Target, and I'm sure after the 22nd, it'll be in the stores at Target. Congratulations again, and good luck with the school year. That's a whole other thing, but I yeah, love- Yeah, we could have another, yeah, we maybe, have a podcast on that. Yeah, maybe oh I'll God. catch up with you in a few months and see how virtual art teaching is going. And thanks for the voting series, because I just, I think it's a beautiful act of activism, and it's such a fundamental part of our democracy, and it look, feels like it's slipping away, and mm-hmm. yeah. So thank you for doing that, and it's been really lovely catching up with you. Thank you so much for having me on here. It's just, it's so nice, especially, uh, you know, with everything going on, just to have kind of a, a moment to talk about art and the creative process and everything. And I've been looking at your, the image behind you. It's, are those individual squares or those? Yeah, this is, it's a painting. I decided I do so much writing about art that I decided to make art about writing. So I'm holding a painting of like kind of in schoolhouse style of like paper and pens and a laptop and typewriter and coffee cup and a wine glass and eraser and all these little images in a style that I'm visually attracted to that I don't normally paint in, but it's been kind of fun and uh-huh. Um, but yeah. It reminds me of those, you know, those boxes of cards you have that, you know, you show like for language development. I have a collection of them. Yes. I have boxes and boxes of them because the art is amazing on those. Yeah, know? I have a lot of that kind of stuff too. I'm so drawn towards sort of schoolhouse chic is how I think of it. Like I'm not a school teacher I'm anymore, not. but it's there's parts of it that still live on. It's nice to see your studio. I can't wait to get back into to the studio. So. Yeah, I feel so lucky to have this space. And unfortunately, I can't share it with anybody right now because um, right. I was offering right. workshops and things here. So one day again. Again, yeah. I also wanted to say I have my home gallery, but it's obviously I don't have it right now. But that's a, something that I really loved having my home gallery and one day I'll do it again. You know, I had basically a gallery in my little tiny living room <clears throat> here in my whole apartment. So you yeah. were doing like little art shows in your apartment? Showing, yeah, I was showing your doing work it. and other artists' work or just your work or what? Mostly it was other people. Yeah, I showed That's other so people. That's so cool. And, and, you know, it was nice because right from the beginning we just decided to take it really seriously and treat it very much like a gallery and a gallery opening. And I had an artist talk and, and then it just became a thing. And um, people really looked forward to it. And we, I would get, you know, quite a crowd in my little apartment and, you know, it is easy to fill up, but you know, people, it would be just a revolving door of people coming and, and the artists, you know, they did pretty well and they got more followers and it was just, it was such a nice community that feeling people loved it. People really loved it. I loved it. It was hard having people in my house, you know, kind of a little bit draining, you know, mm-hmm. after a while, but the intimacy of the home setting was so fabulous. It was really nice. I really was, I miss it so much. That and, is such yeah, a cool idea. It was nice. 
That's a great idea. I've been wanting to do a show of like student work, just the people who've passed through my workshops and have, because mostly they're beginners. And mm -hmm. for me, the first time I showed my work was like, you know. Oh, it's thrilling. It yeah. was thrilling. It was terrifying. I cried. <laughs> you know, I just completely came apart beforehand. So luckily yeah. by the time it yeah. actually had the opening, I was okay. But it was this whole emotional upheaval that I had to go through to get to that stage. But so I know, you know, it's not like that for everybody, maybe, but I like to promote other people or encourage other people to share their work because I think it's great yeah. to do your work in private and there's value in that. But sharing it is a whole other thing and we all benefit from that. Yeah, I think that that sharing of the work is part of that hero's journey. You know, because the first part is just stepping out and making stuff and feeling like you can make stuff. But then when you share it, it's a whole next level. That just takes so much courage because mm -hmm. that fear of criticism is so strong. Well, dear listener, as you can see, Constance and I could have gone on talking for hours and days and in fact, I already had to edit out about one hour of this conversation to get it down to the length that it is. But she brought it to a beautiful place because um, I am Pam Concier of All Hands Art, and my tagline is make stuff, share it, heal the world. And if you're not already subscribed to my newsletters and my blog, um, please go to allhandsart.com and sign up. And we'll see you next time on the Accidental Muralist Podcast.